September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. The episode today is a conversation with my longtime friend, Scott Deluzio. Although our conversation is not really directly about suicide prevention, it is about the role of mental health in a community that is at elevated risk for completed suicide. Those who have served in the military, men, and people who have experienced recent bereavement are all sort of subcategories of humans that face increased risk for suicidality. And Scott is somebody who fits all three of those categories. He is an entrepreneur in the WordPress space. He's also an army veteran, having served six years in the Army National Guard, including a combat deployment to Afghanistan in 2010. His brother Stephen was also deployed during that same time, but Stephen was killed in action on August 22, 2010. Scott has recently written a book about his experiences in the military and particularly his experience being a surviving son. It is a thoughtful, vulnerable, very timely book, one in which covers really important themes related to family, to grief, to mental health, and ultimately to hope, to reestablishing one's life when unthinkable things have happened. So I highly recommend the book. And if you like what you hear from Scott, he has his very own podcast called Drive On, which focuses on connecting current and former service members. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Well, Scott, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to sit down with you. We've known each other for a couple of years in the context of the WordPress space. And I know you have been running um, Amplify Plugins. I almost said Amplify Podcast, but that's a different thing. Amplify Plugins for a number of years. And um, many people probably know you in that capacity. Yeah. So I've been running Amplify Plugins for, yeah, like you said, a number of years and recently merged with a company called Modeffect. They're a WooCommerce agency that heavily focused in the WooCommerce space. And my plugins are definitely WooCommerce focused as well. And so it just seemed like it made made sense to merge together and combine forces and go out and conquer the world. Well, congratulations on the merger. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it is definitely very exciting. And, and we're, we're looking forward to all the great opportunities that are coming around, you know, in front of us here. So, so we're, we're definitely looking to shake things up and, and make things happen. It's sort of the one stop shop for all of your WooCommerce needs. It is, you know, no, definitely, especially the, the customers that I've had before, who have just been the kind of do it yourself kind of people who have bought the plugins to add on to their site, as their site grows, and, and their needs change that, you know, they're going to probably want to look to redesign their site and, and look for a partner that can can help them with that. So that's where Modeffect comes in. And on the Modeffect side, the plugins that we have on, on Amplify plugins, they do all sorts of things that add all sorts of great functionality to your website, improving conversion optimizations and, and things like that. And that's, I think, something that all store owners are looking for. So, you know, that, it's just a, a great fit. And I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, the guys over at Modeffect and, and I linked up and made this happen. 
Yeah. I feel like more and more in my own life, I want things to be simple because my, you know, life as a parent and as a professional is, is I feel like I'm all over the place. And so the more that I can be like, okay, there's this one company that does all of the things I need. It's like a gift to have it all in one spot. So congratulations. And hopefully that's a, a shift that will be one that's really successful for all of you. Thank you. But we're also, you know, talking today partially because you have a new book out and it's called Surviving Sun. And it is about your experience, not as an entrepreneur, but as an officer in the military, in the army specifically, and your experience deploying to Afghanistan and in the course of that, losing your brother. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what it's about. I mean, the the book talks about you know, a little bit about, about my life, my, my upbringing, my childhood, and, and what drove me to decide to join the military. You know, but then, then we jump into my time in Afghanistan and what that was like. Then, you know, like you alluded to, you know, my, my brother was killed in action in Afghanistan while I was, I was in, in Afghanistan as well. So that was an, an incredibly difficult time for me. And then coming back and dealing with the emotional struggles, the, you know, coming back, I literally was, was like plucked off of the battlefield to, to bring me home after he, my brother was killed. And, uh, you know, I had very little time to process that. And the grief and the loss and all that, that kind of stuff was just a lot to, to deal with. Plus the, the stress of combat in and of itself was, was hard to deal with as well. And just coming back and dealing with all those things and, and the transition back into the civilian world and all that stuff was, was just a, you know, like the, the book title, the subtitle uh, alludes to it's a, it's a nightmare. You know, it was a, a bad situation for me. And one that, you know, lasts years, you know, I I think people hear about that kind of traumatic loss or they hear about a deployment and it sounds like it's time limited, like, oh, you were deployed for nine months or, oh, that that death happened and it was a shock and then you moved on. And I think the story, the way that you tell the story and, you know, the way that I know some of these stories, both working as a, as a clinician with people within the VA and the loss of my own brother is that it's a marathon of transition and pain and grief and figuring out who you are and where you go now. No, for sure it is. And I think that's something that's important to to realize and recognize in yourself too, is that it it's not something that you can just flip a switch and then all of a sudden be be better. You've you've grieved the appropriate amount of time, whatever that is, you know, which is not a thing that you can quantify, I don't think. You know, a lot of the stuff that talks that is talked about in the book happened eleven years ago. And so like that that's something that I'm still kind of coping with and, and working through. And if you read through the book, you'll read about some of the things that I, I talk about in there that I'm, I still struggle with. And it's, it's just something that I have to learn to live with and, and work through and, and kind of deal with. And I think that's something that I'm, I'm so grateful to you for deciding to share this story because so many of the people among us are, our entrepreneurial brothers and sisters, the other people in the WordPress space or people who are running businesses, starting companies, who are our peers. So many of us have these stories in our backgrounds, whether it's a deployment or a traumatic loss or an experience of abuse as a child. There's there's something that I think all of us are contending with as we go through our lives. And you've had so much success professionally and throughout the course of your life to to be able to hold both, right? Both the things that bring you a lot of joy and have been very successful for you and the really years long struggle with depression and PTSD and, and grief. It's important for people to hear that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is. And and I think it's also important for people to understand that it's not a unique problem to veterans or people who have served in the military. People can experience PTSD or depression or you name it, you know, these mental health uh, you know, issues that doesn't matter if they served in the military or not. Post-traumatic stress is something that happens to you naturally after a traumatic event. And it, that could be anything from an assault or a traffic accident or something along those lines, the death of a loved one, anything that that's, happens traumatic in your life, it could trigger the, the PTSD kind of response in you. And I, I think people don't understand sometimes that that's a natural reaction to have to an abnormal situation. And so whenever we have other people in our lives who may have experienced something traumatic, it's important to recognize this. And, and I, that's partially why I wanted to write this book is, is because, well, yes, this is my story and it's my you know story in the military. It also applies to other people. You know, some of the things that I, I realized along the way also could apply to other people in, in my life and your life and other people's lives as well. Yeah, depression is the number one cause of disability in the world. It's, you know, 25% of American adults experience depression at any given time. And so these aren't edge states, but there is certainly something so or that is unique and specific about being in the military. And I think there isn't often a meaningful conversation and interaction between veterans and civilian folk. Like it can feel like its own culture, its own world. And I guess I'm curious what you feel like people misunderstand about you as a veteran or as somebody who served on the army. Yeah, actually, one, one of the things I talk about a lot on my podcast with, with other uh, people, the Drive On podcast, is that there is a disconnect between civilians and military veterans and just military community in, in general. And, and so that's one of the things that, that I do address in the book, too, is just, you know, not, not feeling like I fit in. When I returned home and I went back to my civilian job, so I was in the National Guard. So the way for anyone who's unfamiliar with the National Guard, we're part-time soldiers. So we train one week in a month and two weeks a year, and we have regular civilian jobs that we go to the rest of the time, uh, just like anybody else would. So when I came back home from Afghanistan, I went back to that that job and I just felt felt like I I didn't relate to anybody. And I just, I didn't have those connections with, with people anymore. And I, I was really struggling to find the, those connections. That I found that that's common amongst a lot of veterans is, is that they don't feel like they fit in. Sometimes they may not even feel like the, the job that they're doing in the civilian world is, is even having a purpose or, or having any meaning behind it. It just is a tough thing to, to reconcile when you're doing one thing and you're serving something that's bigger than yourself, serving your country, serving you know your community, as the case is in the National Guard. And you're doing all these things that are, are bigger than yourself. And then you come to another job and you're sitting, you know, working nine to five in a cubicle and you just lose that that sense of purpose and, and meaning in your life. And so it, it's a it's a hard thing. And I, I don't think that enough people recognize that that is something that happens in the, the military world and, and to the veterans who who might be, you know, attending college or, uh, you know, working a, a civilian job for the first time ever, because some of them may have joined the military right out of high school and spent 20 years in the military and never worked a civilian job, you know, and so they, they don't know how to do things other than the way the structured military organized way that they've always done things sometimes, you know. When the stakes are life and death, and as would be in the context of a combat deployment, you get used to living at that pace with that level of urgency and intensity. And then you come back to a civilian job in which 
people are a little more lax, right? The, the, the urgency and intensity is not there. And I think it can feel really jarring and really isolating. It definitely can. And especially, you know, to that point, you know, when you're in the military, you expect that not just yourself, that you're going to have that level of intensity. You expect that everybody around you, the people that you're serving with and your chain of command, your leadership and all that, you expect that everybody is going to have that kind of same intensity and attention to detail and making sure that things are done correctly and in the right way so that no one gets hurt or killed. You just expect that of other people. But then when you come into another environment where people don't have that that same sense of urgency or intensity, it's off-putting. And it's like, these people just don't care. And, and that that's not necessarily true. It's just the stakes are not life and death. And so you don't need that level of intensity, you know, and I think I think that's another thing that that kind of is a disconnect between the, the military and civilian world. And, and when when you are in the military, you're there and you're looking out for everybody around you. You're looking out for the the people that you're serving with and you want them to succeed because if they succeed, then the mission succeeds and, you know, all is good. But sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes in the civilian world, there are people who are just out for themselves and they're looking to advance their own careers and, and things like that. And that's not to say that that doesn't happen in the military ever, because I'm, I'm sure it does, but you're more likely to find people who are looking to help you out and get you promoted and advanced in, in, in your career. So the rules are are different in civilian life than they can be in military life. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. How do you think your experience in the military has shaped you as an entrepreneur? Well, I think I've I've kept that attention to detail and that you know some of that level of intensity where like if it's not done right and it's not done to a certain standard, I don't want to put it out there because, you know, I, I feel like I'm only doing half the, the job that I could be doing. And, and if I just spent a little bit longer on something and, and just got it, got it done right, then I'd be happy with it, you know? And so I feel like I, I have an attention to detail and a level of intensity in, in my work that carried over from the military. I could hear real strengths in that and I could hear some downsides too. Maybe sometimes those moments when it's hard to ship something because it feels like it's not quite perfect. Yeah, because everything could always be a little bit better and yeah. and you could end up not shipping anything because you're just waiting for that that next thing, you know, whatever. And and I, I actually felt that way with the book that I wrote, Surviving Sun, as I'm writing it the book's about my life. And obviously my life's not over yet because I'm, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right. And I'm like, there could be more things that I could add and there could be a whole nother chapter. And uh, you know, that what's the next thing looking like and how do I add that into this book? But at some point I just had, had to say, okay, it's cut off here. I'm not adding anything else. And this is it. I could have added, I could have had a 800 page book if I wanted to just keep adding and adding and adding. But I think the 200 page uh, ballpark uh, book is, is probably a little more reasonable. It's a good length. Yeah. It's a good length. <laughs> You know, a lot of the um, entrepreneurs that I work with or I'm connected to who have had experience serving in the military, specifically in Afghanistan, have really struggled isn't the right word, but like have certainly had a new level of focus on what's happening in Afghanistan throughout these past weeks and months as the U.S. troops have withdrawn and we've sort of seen this mess take place as the Taliban has regained control. I'm, I guess I'm wondering if you're seeing the same thing and what that's felt like for you as someone who was deployed to Afghanistan. Yeah. So, I mean, when all of this first started just, you know, a few weeks ago and, and everything and, and it 
really hit the headlines in the news. I was in like a state of disbelief, I think, that like, how could we let this just happen? And it felt like almost overnight, things just got so much worse than they, they should have been. And it, it hurt, you know, and at first I started thinking to myself, and I think a lot of uh, veterans probably feel the same way. I started thinking to myself, like, what was all of this for nothing? You know, was my brother's death for nothing? And the thousands of other people who, who were injured or killed over there, was that all for nothing? And not to mention the people who came home with the mental health issues and, and struggle with that. And, you know, was it all for nothing? And I had to believe that it wasn't all for nothing. And so I started thinking, and I, I tried to just remind myself of some of the good that has happened over there. And I started thinking about the the kids who got a chance to go to school because we allowed them to build schools or we built the schools for them. And, and these kids got to go to school. Some of them girls who under the Taliban did not have the opportunity to go to school. The electricity and the water and the bridges and the other infrastructure things that we allowed to take place or we participated in, we, we helped build those things. Some of those things wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for us being there. So I think the lives of the people of Afghanistan were improved, you know, maybe temporarily while, while we were there for those those 20 years. But I, I make the analogy in the book. So my grandmother, she was diagnosed with cancer in 1968. And the, she went to the doctors and she got treatment and she went into remission and everything. And, and everything worked out okay there. And about 20 years later, the cancer came back and ultimately took her life. So I think about that as kind of an analogy to the situation going on in Afghanistan, where it actually just happened to fit pretty perfectly where where the year, number of years worked out. The timelines match, don't they? It did. Yeah, it did. And so it might seem like I made this up. I didn't. It, it was actually 21 years you know, after she died. But give or take, it, it was it was pretty close. But I look at it like, you know, were the doctor's efforts that 20 years earlier, were they all for nothing? Because she ended up dying eventually. And you know, then I, I think to myself, no, absolutely not. Like she had an opportunity to live for another 20 years. She got to meet most of her grandchildren who were born during that time period. And, and it's like, if the doctors just gave up on her and just said, oh, well, this is a lost cause. We shouldn't even bother. She never would have had those extra 20 years of life. And that, that would have been a, a shame. You know, I had very fond memories of, of her. You know, she took care of me when I was growing up while my parents were working and stuff. And I, I remember a lot of things from back then. And, you know, I'm very thankful that the doctors were able to help her out, you know, way back then. And so looking at that and, and making that analogy to what's going on in Afghanistan, I, I don't think it was all for nothing. I think we, we did some good things. And the kids who went to school while we were over there, they're adults now, and some of them may have children of their own. And I know as a parent, and I know you're a parent as well, I know I want better for my kids than I ever had. I, I want them to have the absolute best opportunities and, and I want things to be great for them. And I talking to other parents, I feel like that's sort of a universal truth, uh, you know, amongst parents. And so I have to imagine that these people over in Afghanistan now, they're looking at the situation where maybe their children aren't allowed to go to school. And then they they look at themselves like, well, I was able to go to school. Why can't my kid? And I and I hope and I'm, I'm praying that there's a spark lit inside of some of these people that they're able to, to push back and fight back and, and regain some of what they've lost in the last few weeks. Yeah. But the story isn't over yet. No, it's not. Right. Just as you you talked about your your book isn't done because you're still alive. Like the story isn't done. Right now it looks bleak. And I think we're all aware of all that's been lost. But the sense that, okay, okay we'll see how this unfolds over time to hold out some hopefulness there. 
Yeah, I, and I, I really am hopeful. I know the Taliban has taken over control of a lot of the, the country, but there are some resistance movements that are are peeking their head up and, and they're they're offering the people some hope. And there's people out protesting and, you know, trying to regain uh, areas in, in the country. And I, I just hope that they're able to do that and affect some change for the better in their country. Well, you and I share the the uncommon commonality or unfortunate commonality of both having lost a brother. As I, as I read about your experience being in Afghanistan on deployment, your brother was killed a few miles from where you were. And you describe knowing that the commander's looking for you, knowing that's probably not good and having to climb up this hill to go and receive this news. You know, you didn't know exactly what it was, but you had a sense of like, there's probably not good news on the other end of this conversation. Right. Yeah. So in the military, there's, there's a chain of command and usually messages flow from the, the top down and they they go through all the different levels. And and I wasn't I wasn't very high on the totem pole. Let's just put it that way. And so when the commander is looking for me specifically to, to talk to me, that doesn't happen very often. And when I found out, I, I started checking the equipment of all my, my guys because I, at first I thought somebody lost something. Someone lost like someone lost, I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, their night vision goggles or their uh, scopes on their weapons or, you know, some, I, they lost something, someone lost something and everything has a serial number on it. So they could definitely tie it back to who it is. And so I started checking everyone's stuff and they had everything. And I was like, what the heck is going on? What, what could he possibly want? And he he wouldn't say it over the radio. And now I know why, but I, I was trying to figure out what it was. And then my, my mind went to, well, you know, I have, a, I had at the time, I had a bunch of elderly relatives at home. And I said, well, maybe a Red Cross message got sent. And, and Red Cross messages, for anyone who's unfamiliar, are ways that they communicate with, with soldiers out in the battlefield, like urgent messages from back home. So it could be, you know, the death of a loved one or, you know, birth of a child or, or something along those lines. You know, so they'll, they'll communicate messages that way. And so I'm thinking, OK, well, maybe something happened to one of them back home. Never, ever did it cross my mind that something could have happened to my brother, because that just was not something that I put in the back of my head. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't on the menu. <laughs> No, exactly. And and realistically, I knew something could, you know, happen to him because we were in a combat zone and that's what happens to people in, in combat is bad things will, will eventually happen. But to me, it was one of those things where it was like, that's just something that happens to other people. That doesn't happen to me, you know? And then when I eventually got the news, it just hit me like, well, crap, I am other people now. I am those other people. And that was just a tough pill to swallow. You know, I, I know, you know, you lost your your brother as well. And, you know, obviously different different circumstances, but it's not an easy thing to accept. You know, in, in the back of my mind, when I first was told that his unit got ambushed and he was hit, I was thinking, OK, how do I how do I get to him so I can, you know, if he needs a blood transfusion or something, you know, he can have my blood if he needs an organ whatever. I, I, he can have mine. If I don't need it, he can have it and like get me to him. And I was trying to run through the logistics of how to get me off of that mountain, that remote mountain. And you immediately and, and started solving a different problem. <laughs> I did. Exactly. And, and then, then the commander said, no, you, I don't think you understand. I, I, what I'm trying to say is that he was killed. And, I, and it was just like, how, how could that be? He can't be dead. And then unfortunately, about 20 minutes after receiving that news, my own unit started taking fire from the Taliban who was in the village that we were just in. Uh, so we had like RPGs exploding and, you know, rifles shooting and everything like that. And it was just... There wasn't the opportunity to, to sit and absorb it any more than 
No, I, I had about 20 minutes and then I literally had to just put it aside and say, okay, I need to go back to being army Scott and not brother Scott and, and put that aside and go make sure that the guys that are relying on me had everything that they needed, that they had their, you know, enough ammunition and that they were in position in a safe position, you know, as safe as it could be um, so that we didn't have any more casualties that day. And I also didn't want to be a casualty either, because obviously for obvious reasons, but I also, for my parents, I didn't want them to get a second knock on the door saying your other son has also been killed. And that, that to me would just have been complete devastation to them and my wife and, you know, my newborn son who was at home and, you know, it would just been an awful situation. So I had to just put all that aside and, and just focus on the mission at hand. And for me, unfortunately, I don't feel like I ever went back to being brother Scott and picking back that grief back up and dealing with it in a healthy way. Yeah, you had such abrupt transitions to go from learning of this news to then needing to engage in a firefight and then to come back to Connecticut. And it was just this whirlwind of roles that you had to play, none of which were the grieving Scott. Right, exactly. And, and that's that's exactly what happened. So the, the timeline was I, I found out about my brother about 20 minutes later, we were in a firefight. And then within, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or so, a, a helicopter came to pick me up off of that battlefield, took me to a, another base. And then the next morning, I flew out of Afghanistan, uh, actually on the same plane as my brother, uh, and the other soldier who was who was killed with him. We were on that same plane to Kuwait. And then then I went separate ways. He stayed in Kuwait for whatever they needed to do with him. And, and I went on to uh, Germany, then Atlanta, and then back to Connecticut. And I was home two days after the whole thing happened. So it, I mean, talk about an abrupt transition and, and no time to process and, and grieve, uh, you know, appropriately. And it, it was just, yeah, it was it was pretty hectic and abrupt. And also like plucked from your unit, right? I think that's one of the things that maybe civilians don't quite understand is how interdependent those relationships are within your unit. And to go through something like this and then immediately be removed from them while they're still in harm's way, I, I imagine it's sort of like a uniquely challenging part of this story. Yeah, it, you know, it was, and it's actually something I, I didn't cover in the book, which is, you know, just one more thing I could have added, right? <laughs> in that 800 page, uh, you know, <laughs> thing that, the 800, it's in the 800 page version. It's in the 800 page version. Yeah, you'll have to wait on that one. I'm still working on it. But there was actually a time a few weeks after I got home. And so I was already in Connecticut and I was, I was home, I was safe and everything. And the area that I was in where our base was, was on CNN. And there was a big, there, there's a big border crossing uh, between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And, and a lot of what we did was patrolling that border area and, and making sure that some of the vehicles and things like that had free movement back and forth because that area was where NATO sent a lot of their supplies through because Afghanistan's a landlocked country. And so the only way to get shipping supplies is through Pakistan. And that's how it came in. And so that was part of our job. And there was a situation at the border uh, due to some of the drone strikes that, that were happening in, inside of Pakistan, where the Pakistanis uh, shut down the border. And it showed all of these trucks just lined up in a dried out riverbed, right, basically across the street from where our base was. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a situation that's on CNN, and I'm not there with these guys. And, you know, it turned out nothing was too bad in terms of, you know, conflict or, or whatever. But but still, I, I felt like 
if there's going to be a conflict, I wanted to be there. I, I, if anything was to happen to those those guys, I wanted to be there because it would tear me up inside if any of them got injured or killed, and I wasn't there to do whatever I could to to help them. And it turns out years later, I, I talked to some of the guys that I, I served with, and they also had the same emotions. They were torn apart when when something happened to my brother. They they learned about that, and it was like their world got got rocked as well. You know, obviously not to the same extent as mine, but they 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 just didn't know how to to process it. It was almost as if they lost one of their own, and and I guess in a way they did because I I was taken away. But you know, they they felt that pain. The double loss. Yeah, exactly. I want to go back to something that you said a few minutes ago. When you heard this news, there was this sense that now I'm other people, right? Like now the thing that I didn't think could happen to me has happened. And in that moment, you have this like identity adjustment. How has that stayed with you? Yeah, what's that been like? You know, that is one of the many identity adjustments that have taken place in the, the whole course of this this thing. I think that was probably one of the first identity adjustments. You know, I remember thinking to myself, like there was, my brother was my son's god godparent. And I'm like, okay, that's something that he was. He was an uncle. He was, uh, he had a fiance. He was about to get married. He he was my brother, a son. He was all these things. And he was a friend and, and everything to all these people. And then to me, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, I'm a person who never lost his brother. And now all of a sudden, now this is a new identity that I have. I'm now a grieving sibling, uh, you know? And and so that was like one of the first transitions. And then coming home, I, I was someone who was in combat and now I'm not. Now I'm someone who's walking into a grocery store just like everybody else. And when a, someone drops a can on the floor or something like that, it, it, I'm the one who's jumping out of his skin and everyone else is looking at me like I'm crazy, you know, but, you know, there's just so many different tra little transitions that take place. And some of them you may not even realize as being a transition, but then they're thrown on you. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, this is, this is different. I'm, I'm not that person that I was before. And after, after getting home, uh, you know, actually I should say before I left for, for Afghanistan, I was generally a pretty easygoing, happy type of person. But then after coming back, I was, I was angry all the time and I was frustrated and I, things just were not the same for me, you know, and I, I had a lot of, a lot of struggle dealing with all of that. I guess I'm also making the connection to, to the entrepreneurial world and the way that we identify with the roles that we play. Like I run this business, I do this thing, I am this person. And sometimes those things shift outside of our control. Sometimes the business fails, we, you know, something doesn't work out, it's time to sell. And the way that our sense of self and identity shifts with those changes, I think is a sort of uniquely painful, hard thing that happens that many of us aren't privy to or don't observe kind of like you're alluding to like things have changed and I, I don't really know how to understand why I feel so different. Yeah. And I've made this correlation before too, for to, to really help civilians understand what some of these transitions are like, uh, you know, for the military people that may be in their lives. Let's say you're, you know, well, I can't say let's say you are a doctor, right? And, and you have worked for you know, a number of years and you presumably you'll continue working for a number of years as, as a doctor. And uh, at some point down the line, you may decide, you know, it's time to hang up my hat and retire. And then after that, 
you're no longer a doctor. I mean, you might technically still be in, you know, everything, but that's not what you might get the title, but yeah, right. not functionally. <laughs> but you're, that's not what you're doing anymore. You're not, you're not act- actively seeing patients and, and things like that. And, you know, same thing with anyone who has any profession of any sort that if you meet them at a dinner party or a, you know, a cocktail party or something like that, you, you say, Oh, what do you do? And they fill in the blank with doctor, lawyer, accountant, fill in the blank with whatever. And then at some point they're not that. And for a lot of people that leaves a, like an empty feeling in them, like, okay, I'm not this anymore. What the hell am I? You know, what, what am I? I'm a retired guy who goes and plays golf every day. Or, you know, like that doesn't really sound all that exciting, especially when, you know, you had a, a long, healthy, happy career that was your identity. And it, all of a sudden it's gone. And that was a lot of what I felt when I got out of the military. I got out in 2011. So the way I, I got out was um, actually where the title of the book comes from. There's an army regulation called Surviving Sons and Daughters, and it deals with people who have lost a, a loved one in, in the military service. So in order to be discharged under this, I, I had to submit my paperwork and stuff like that to, to get discharged. And eventually, it, like everything else in government, it took a little time to for that to process. But by the time it did, I went to bed one night still a soldier, I still had that identity. And then the next morning, I got a phone call saying, Hey, your paperwork's been processed, you're out. And all of a sudden, it was like a light switch went off. And and now I'm not this person anymore. I'm no longer a soldier. Uh, now I'm a veteran, but that doesn't have the same thing. You know, it's not just not the same. And so, you know, there was no goodbye parties, there was no wrapping up, no closure or anything like that. There's no like retirement parties like people might have. It, it was literally like a light switch went off and a paper arrived. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This paper came in and, and boom, got to turn in your equipment, you know, within the next week or so. Which would have been a little bit different had you returned with your unit, right? There, There's a little more, not a lot, not as much as probably there should be, but there's a little more ritual. There's a little more of sort of a group of experience of transition. And again, this is a part of the military to civilian life that I think we can do much better, but it's different than just like your paperwork came through, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. It was like, let's stamp that paper and you're done. Right. The rituals, they're important. They help. I guess I was curious about that, even in the the grief part of your transition, whether some of the rituals were, were meaningful to you, memorial service, I mean, receiving the flag, like the the commemorations that um, were given to Stephen that you and your family received on his behalf. Yeah, I mean, there was such an incredible outpouring of support throughout the entire military community and, and people from all branches of government and things like that, the senators and, and representatives and stuff that rent, reached out and, and everything. It was it was just incredible. But, you know, the, like his the memorial service itself was was very moving, uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, especially being in the military, because I knew the significance of some of the things like the 21 gun salute and the flag and and they had a uh, a riderless horse that signifies like the the fallen uh, soldier you know is they, they had like the boots facing backwards so that's like signifying the fallen soldier and and so th- there's all those little symbols that were there that were very meaningful to, to me and I'm glad that I had an opportunity to experience that but then as as time went on there were more and more memorial type services, not necessarily like a funeral type service, obviously, that's a one and done kind of thing. But there was other services that that took place, you know, around our, our hometown and, and throughout the state and everything. And I found those to be harder and harder to attend for myself, partially because they drew large crowds. 
And that was just something I, I could not deal with being in a large crowd. It, it was very difficult for me to be in, in large crowds for any given length of time. I used to love going to concerts and, you know, comedy shows and things like that. I, I don't think I've been to one since, uh, you know, coming coming back home. Very few anyways. And and it's just been, been really hard. And, and so going to those things just started to become... I don't want to say a burden, but it, they they really affected me in ways that I wasn't expecting. Really tapped on those resources that sounds like we're already being used to manage some PTSD symptoms. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly. So they were they were a hard thing to to deal with, and and getting getting back into just the normal swing of things just it seemed to me like it was just harder to do, and it, it took longer than it should have in in my mind, anyways. I don't know how long it should have taken, but yeah, I don't know what the, the should is there. But. No, there, there probably is no right number or time period or, or anything like that. But it just, to me, it seemed like it was a, it was just a hard thing to do. In in your book, you you talk about kind of your journey with depression and PTSD, and then sort of masking some of that disruption with alcohol and sleeping pills, and just really trying to regulate yourself. Um, and eventually going through sounds like some really high quality therapy at the VA and the vet center. And I guess I'm curious if, if anyone could have said anything to you earlier that would have led to you getting help earlier. You know, I, I don't know that if anyone had said anything earlier, if it would have made a difference, I ended up, you know, having my, you know, just call it rock bottom moment, you know, where I, I felt like I was no longer myself. And it, and it was a, a moment where I realized that I'm not the same person that I used to be. And I'm not okay with the person that I've become. I need help to, to change this. You know, my wife had noticed some of these, these things over time. And, you know, while she was trying to kind of lead me in the right direction, it was still one of those things I think I needed to realize and recognize on my own. And that, that's just, I think, maybe my personality. I don't I don't know. But I think if anyone else had said something, I, I would have been like, well, maybe you're the one who's crazy, because like, that's not me. Like, that's not who I am. Or I, I would have justified it in some other way and, and said, well, oh, well, this was so and so's fault. And so I'm angry at that person and, and whatever. And but those were things that would not have bothered me in the past. And so it was just a struggle. And then it all came came to this one point where, where I was just totally, it was almost like an out of body experience where I just didn't recognize myself. You know, I, I was, I was doing these things and saying these things and it, it wasn't me. And all those, all that time of kind of masking the symptoms and kind of self correcting things with, you know, drinking too much and taking sleeping pills and, and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't, didn't work. And it ended up piling on top of it, the already the bad situation that I was in and adding on to that and just making th things worse. And so eventually I, I said, you know, something has to be done. I, I need to do something to change. And, and, you know, this is not the kind of life that I want for my kid. You know, at the time I, I had one son, I have three kids now. Like, I didn't want that for them. I, I, I didn't want that for my wife. I didn't want that for, for my family or friends or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't want to be that kind of person. So, so I reached out to the, the vet center, which is affiliated through the VA, but they, they offer, you know, counseling services. And, you know, I had a really great counselor there and, and he really helped me through th some things and, uh, you know, it came to the point where I thought I was just okay. And, and I was like, you know, what? I, I think I can manage this now on my own. And I, I don't think I need to keep going here. And, you know, I, I think that was a mistake that I made that, you know, mental health should be treated like any other kind of health thing. You go in for regular checkups, 
every once in a while. It, it's not like a, you know, go and do this, check the box and you're done and and then move on. You kind of need to go in and get those regular checkups so that you so that you have the ability to know when you're starting to slip again. And and I did. I did start to slip and I went down uh, the wrong path again, you know, later on. And so I, I went back to the VA and and got more help, uh, you know, through through them. And and I, I had some other, uh, you know, issues that, that I didn't realize I even had. And so, you know, it was just more and more, uh, you know, checking up and, and making sure that things were okay. And now that I realize this, it's one of those things where I'm going to continue going back to the uh, therapy sessions and, and, you know, it's not going to be a, every single week that I'm going to, to different sessions. It, it, you know, I might take a break for for a little while, but I'll I'll have a, a checkup, a follow up, just just like you would with your regular doctor. You go go in for a checkup, and you just make sure, okay, is everything good? Okay, cool. See you next year. You know, and and, and move on. You know. Yeah, let's just normalize that it's a lifelong story, our mental health, just, just as you're making the analogy, like our physical health. And I think when, you know, when depression has entered our story or grief, like, yes, people can be extraordinarily resilient and recover and go on with normal lives and run businesses and raise children and have all of the sort of amazing experiences that we want to have in life. But it's always like lurking a little bit in the background. And I think having a rhythm of being in conversation with somebody who can help you just check in is wise, probably for almost all of us. I think it is. Yeah. And and I've I've recently come to realize that we are all the sum of all the experiences that have happened to us throughout our lives. And there, there's no subtracting in that. All of them add up at some point and they influence who you are, who you're what your behaviors are like and what your personality is like and all those things, even those things that happened long ago in your childhood are still affecting who you are today. And then other things that have happened to you and you've experienced, they're also affecting you. And and so as things add up, some of those things may not jive very well together. And, and you may need to have that kind of checkup and, and get that checked on and, and figure out what, what to do with that and how to process some of, some of those thoughts and emotions and, and stuff, because all of those things affect your your behaviors and your attitudes and, and everything. It's, it's like a big vicious cycle. If, if you don't, if you don't catch it somewhere along the way in that cycle, you're, you're going to end up having a, a tough time dealing with these things. Yeah. I guess given where you sit as a as a business owner who leads a team, what are things that other business owners or entrepreneurs can do to make a workplace that is more accessible and friendly to veterans? And then I also want to ask the same question about a workplace that's accessible and friendly to people who are in grief. Those are two big questions, um, but they're big questions. But just off the top of your head, yeah. So I think you know, as far as making workplaces more accessible, more friendly to, to veterans, I, I think understanding that that veterans, a lot of them are are losing that identity right right off the bat that that we talked about earlier of being in the military, and you can't give them that back. But like, there's just not that there to, to give that to them. But helping them understand what their job is and how that fits into the overall picture and give them that sense of purpose and, and meaning in their work. So that way, it's not just, you know, punching a time clock from nine to five or whatever the hours are, or whatever, and, and that giving a sense of meaning there, but also a, a sense of uh, belonging. Because another thing that that people are, are losing when they leave the military is that camaraderie. And they are missing out on, you know, having the, those friends who are there for you and, and 
connecting. And, and so building a culture where, where people are, I don't want to say just like the military, because we're not going to do that. And, and most people are not going to want to fall into a, you know, a workplace like that, but building a culture in your, in your workforce where, where people actually are there and looking out for each other and they care about each other and, and that they are interested, you know, if you're, you know, a leader that you're interested in, in getting your, your subordinates uh, promoted and, and that their career is advancing, you know, according to the wishes and desires that they have and, you know, that you're providing opportunities for them to advance and, and, you know, whether it's additional schooling or other education opportunities and stuff like that, you know, not to say that it has to be a big financial expense, but that you're making them aware of these things, you know, so that they can take the initiative and, and move on their own because that that's very much like it, what it was in the, the military. And, and if you're missing out on that and you feel like you're all alone and that you don't have anyone who's there to, to look out for you, it's just a much harder transition. And then as far as, uh, the other question about making the workplace more accessible to people who are grieving, I mean, recognize that there are different ways to grieve. And some people may, it may seem like they've, they've only been grieving for a very short amount of time, you know, relatively speaking, you know, maybe it's only a, you know, a couple of days or something like that. And then they just seem like they're fine, but, but recognize that those people may also have that grief hit them years down the road or months down the road or something like that. And, and it, they may just need that time. So just be aware. And I think this goes back to that camaraderie thing when when you're closer together with people you'll you'll start to recognize their personalities and and what they are going through in their personal lives a lot of times people keep their work and personal lives completely separate and they won't talk about anything like that but as as you build those relationships and and get closer with other people you'll start to know about any losses that they might be having and and you might just be more aware of that type of stuff and so you know just even something simple as, you know, asking, hey, how you're doing? I know, how, how are you doing? I know it's been a little while since whatever this event was that, that you're, you're grieving from, but how are you doing? You know, and just, just talk to them about it, you know, make, make it a culture where you can have these conversations and, and that it's not a weird thing and there's a stigma around it or whatever, like, oh, we shouldn't talk about this. Like, it, it's okay. And, and it might actually be necessary to talk about it. And maybe the person doesn't have anyone at home to talk to about these things. And maybe you're the only one who's in their life who they can talk to. So just, you know, give them that opportunity. And if it seems like it's something beyond your pay grade in terms of how to help them, offer up some resources and, and stuff where they can go get counseling or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah your openness and vulnerability in sharing your experience. And I think that it has your book, Surviving Sun, certainly has a lot to offer any human, right? The themes are very human about loss and about putting yourself back together after something difficult happens. So while it's very specific to you and your experience in the military and your experience with Stephen, I think there's much to be, much wisdom to be gained for, for anyone who dives in. I definitely agree. And I, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to come on the show and, and talk about the book and, and my story. So thank you. Wonderful. And where can people um, learn more about you or, or follow you online? Yeah, so um, so if they're interested in, in getting a copy of the book, it's on Amazon, Surviving Sun. It's real easy to, to find, just search for that. Or you can go to survivingsunbook.com. And there's 
information about me there. There's uh, social media links that you can follow me all on that, that website as well. So survivingsunbook.com would be a great place to go if you're interested in hearing more stories like this. I talk to other veterans on my podcast, the Drive On podcast, who have their own stories. And one of the things that I tell everybody is that we all have stories to tell and they're all important. And so these stories all have a, a purpose and a meaning. And so I like to give voices to to these veterans on my podcast. It's the Drive On Podcast, and you can find it at driveonpodcast.com or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So you can check that out there. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.